The FinTech Innovation Lab is in its 12th year. We started it coming out of the financial crisis of 2008 and have grown it from 10 banks to 43 major financial institutions. The core of the program is that that group of large institutions actually selects the cohort. So they determine the companies that get accepted into the program because those companies are creating solutions that are of high interest to that group of large institutions. Hi, everyone. It's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, I am joined by Maria Gotch of the Partnership Fund for New York City. Uh, they have been doing this program for uh, a few years now, and they are just now opening up the program to its next round of participants. So, Maria, let's um, let's just start off by you giving us a little bit of a, a background on what the program is and what types of companies typically um, apply. Sure. So, the FinTech Innovation Lab is in its 12th year, if you can believe it. Uh, and we started it uh, coming out of the financial crisis of 2008. So, the first year was 2011 and uh, have grown it from 10 banks to 43 major financial institutions. So now we have banks, money management firms, and insurance companies. And and I mentioned that because kind of core to the program is that that group of uh, large institutions actually selects the cohort. So they determine the, the companies that get accepted into the program because those companies are creating solutions that are of high interest to that group of large institutions. So um, the applications opened uh, about two weeks ago, and they are due on December 1st. How has the the demographic of companies that are applying um, changed since you guys started 12 years ago? Because, you know, DeFi was not a thing 12 years ago. Uh, You know, there's a whole host of things that have come across in the last even just year. Because the last time I went to Money 2020 in person in 2019, I, it's just such a different feel of what we're discussing versus what we did this year. Yeah. And so the, 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 what the companies are doing changed and the nature of the companies has also changed. So in the earlier years, we were working with more earlier stage startups. And because the financial institutions are looking for solutions that they can really implement today, the stage of company that now gets accepted into the program is a little bit later and as somebody that has a product that's in market uh, with a couple of customers but still needs and is interested in some input on the product market fit from from a potential customer. And um, the last uh, uh, blockchain, you know, which is DeFi is a part of blockchain, as I I think about it, is definitely one that was not on anybody's list back in 2010, Um, and, uh, but but it's on the list today. Uh, and then for those of you listening, if you want the complete list, it's actually published on the website. Um, but blockchain is a, is a, is a, something that, that's been there for the last couple of years. New for the last two years, so last year and this year, is ESG. And what we're seeing there is a real interest in solutions that will help the financial services sector deal with ESG, particularly on the environmental piece, as a, as a new asset class. And so as you have a new asset class, you need to measure it, you need to verify, you need to track it, you need to value it, you need to trade it, you need to have custody around it. And so all solutions that help institutions get their arms around that are of interest. And that really is from insurance, where they've got new risks around climate that they need to bring into their underwriting models, 
to wealth management for investors that want to have within their portfolio um, sort of ESG securities, and then the financial, the banks and the investment banks that want to be sort of in the in the in the brokering side of that. So many different ways that ESG can sort of be applied to the financial services sector. Uh, new this year, not surprising, is future of work, right? For obvious reasons, and so. There's an interest in solutions for how we get how we're going to work in this new environment. How are we going to keep employees engaged? How are we going to, you know, understand what they're doing and manage them? Um, and so those are all. And, and I think everybody is still grappling with what is the right structure, what is the right way to deal with employees. And so I think there's a little bit of well, if you come up with a really good solution that helps us manage people in a different way, that will allow us to manage people in a different way. So I think it's a really interesting time for companies that are in that uh, kind of future workspace. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing you mentioned is like payments has always been something that you guys have seen companies focus on, but the way that companies are focusing on and innovating within payments has also changed a lot since the program started out. So even if something has been there since the beginning, it feels like, you know, it feels like a completely completely different thing at this point. Exactly. And I would say the same is for data. And so data started as, oh, we have a lot of data. We need to, we need to help sort of, you know, understand what we have. And then it moved into more kind of a governance, right? Once they built their data lakes, there's a governance piece of it. So because financial institution is regulated around where the data can be moved, who can see it, who has access to it. So tools that help them both uh, do that in the in a in a in a, in a way that is regulatory regulatorily responsible. That's actually a word, <laughs> uh, but also allows them to use the data. And what we're seeing, particularly in the last couple of years, is, I guess I would say, right now the holy grail, and that's going to shift. Is I want to take my internal data that's protected, add some external data about customers. And then put some predictive analytics on top of that, that can help me understand based on sort of inputs A and B, what are some potential things that I should think about putting in front of the customer? So that sort of pulling together of a couple of different pieces from past years is very of high interest in both the financial services sector and insurance. Yeah, and you've been at the forefront of seeing how banks have responded to this. You mentioned that you started off with like five to 10 banks, and now at this point you have 40 plus. Um, how has that changed in recent years? Because I know that like back when you guys started, I would assume banks weren't as interested in fintech, didn't really take it as much of a, you know, seriously, as much of a threat. And I would think in the last two or three years, they've started to really realize that fintechs are here to stay. They're something that millennials and Gen Z in particular really resonate with and that they can learn a lot from them as well. Well, so when we actually started the program, we'll come in with a name for it. We had a conversation. Well, if we called it FinTech Innovation Lab, would anybody know what we were talking about? <laughs> and so for the first couple of years, I would always say FinTech Innovation Lab, you know, financial technology. So obviously that's that's changed dramatically. Now, you know, you don't need to define FinTech anymore. Um, but I think the the program really came out of the financial crisis when a lot of the budgets were frozen. And so there was the threat of competition from a lot of organizations, which at the time were, were, were all being developed on the, on the West Coast. And so the, 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 their interest in participating in this program, I think, really stemmed out of the fact that 
they knew that there was a potential threat. Um, and because of the because of the budgetary constraints, the ability to continue to build everything inside their four walls, they knew was shifting and that they had to start looking externally. And I think where we where we have migrated to is that this uh, this idea of partnering with an external uh, company, enterprise company, fintech or enterprise, is now becoming an accepted part of what it is to do business. And um, so there is, we've seen the large institutions start to change their internal processes to make it slightly easier for large for a smaller company to, to work with them. Um, they will still admit that they're difficult because of the regulatory requirements to, uh, to, to, to deal with and that they're held to a certain standard that other tech companies are not. Um, but the, the ability for, and I think they're very interested in the innovations that are coming from small companies uh, because things can be really sort of tried out outside the regulatory framework. And then, and we see this a lot in terms of conversations at the lab, then what happens is as that innovation is sort of getting in front of the financial services sector, there's a, a, there's a joint sharing of information. So the large institutions will help the smaller companies understand well. What does it mean, right? How do you protect the data at a at a level? How do you how do you have security levels that are that are acceptable to the to the regulators? So there's a, you know, as I, as I've said, in some level, the the fintechs are outsourced R and D for a lot of the big uh, tech for the big financial institutions, and you know, it's it's been working well. Particularly as you now see in the last couple of years. Um, a, a, a definite high level of acquisitions by these large institutions of these smaller companies. What are some of the companies that you guys have had come through the program before that our listeners would would likely know just because they have, you know, raised multiple funding rounds, they might be a part of the FinTech Today community, et cetera? Yeah, so there's a, there's a, there's a couple. There's uh, Alloy, um, which came in, uh, and when they came in the program, they actually had other fintechs as their customers. And they what they do is they facilitate uh, KYC in a very modular, flexible way when you're trying to onboard new customers um, and, and sort of check for fraud. Um, and, I, and I believe they got one of their first regulated bank customers through the lab. Okay. Uh, they've gone on to really you know, do, do, do gangbusters and just raised a recent round where I think they are officially a unicorn based on the mm-hmm. last uh, Nova Credit is another one uh, that people may have heard of. Um, so they're, uh, they allow um, immigrants to this country to bring their credit history to the U.S. Uh, because if any, any of you have tried to move to the U.S. and you know, try to get a credit card and you don't have credit in the United States, it's very hard. And so they have connections, sort of vetted connections to credit um credit information sources in foreign countries and they deliver it to financial institutions in this country in a way that that the US institutions can use and then do their underwriting and, and credit and credit extension off of. Um, so they've done a really nice job of creating of building out that function with multiple countries and then now incorporating having it be incorporated by some major institutions uh, in the US. Um, and then I mentioned one on the insurance side, a company called Strong Arm Tech. And so they uh, are a uh, technology platform that helps keep industrial, what they call industrial athletes safe um, and keep them from 
from injuring themselves while they're on the job doing something very physical, like working in a, in a warehouse. And um, uh, they partner both with the, the company that is employing those workers, but they're also partnering with insurance companies because they their technology has they've, they've proven that it can help keep those workers uh, safer and avoid workers' compensate injury, therefore leading to workers' compensation claims. So that's been an interesting combination of the rise of you know, e-commerce, which is putting so much more volume through the warehouses, particularly around the holiday season, with a new technology tied to a traditional industry insurance to try to, you know, minimize, um, you know, keep keep the workers safe so that there are, um, you know, fewer injuries. I love the term industrial athlete too. A, isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> I hope they trademark that. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, the founder's father was was a was a blue collar worker, and so you know he so he so saw firsthand what you know the the experience that his father had in having to stay you know healthy and fit. Have you had a chance to look at any of the applications this year? And I asked just because when applications opened last year, I don't even know that DeFi and TradFi or whatever, how we pronounce it, what were terms at that point. So I'm curious if you guys are getting a lot of companies that are focusing on that or not, given like it, it's something that's been around. It's, we didn't have this term for it. Right. So no, there was no DeFi last year. <laughs> it, embedded finance was the, was the term that's now morphed into a version of DeFi. Um, so we, um, this year for the first time, we're offering an early application deadline. Um, and that's in, uh, that's in the middle of November. And, and what that means is that we're, we're taking a look at the applications that are coming in, um, and we'll give you some feedback. And so we got a chance to look at it and say, Hey, this doesn't make sense. Or you might think about positioning it a little bit differently, um, so that we can help the companies kind of get into as best shape as possible before we send the applications out to the financial institutions. Because we, being ourselves in Accenture, we don't select the class. We didn't, the, 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 all the applications and the oral pitches are done to financial services executives. So what we're trying to do is help you get uh, with that early application deadline, uh, tweak your application so that it is uh, as clear as possible. So we're, start, we're just starting to look at the applications. But I'll say, based on some of the conversations that we've had with potential applicants, um, we're seeing, you know, some interesting things in the data space, um, and uh, which is which is a priority, and some interesting things in ESG. So, uh, but again, it's early days, and there's a reason why there's deadlines, and most <laughs> applicants come in sort of screaming in right before the deadline. <laughs> so we usually get a a much better sense after the deadline. Yeah, so people listening to this will still have plenty of time to to meet that deadline and everything. It's yeah. it's free to apply, correct? But then the program itself, if you get accepted, there is a sort of uh, you know fee associated with that. Correct. It's free to apply, um, and then if you're accepted into the program, we we being the partnership fund uh, take a take warrants in your company for common stock. That's and then the price of that warrant exercise price is at fair market value. So the the uh, so we don't make any money on those warrants uh, unless your company does well, and we priced it at the zero point five percent, which is similar to what you would pay an outside advisor um, that was valuable because the 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 program is obviously very intense for three months, 
But there are a number of things that we do with the alumni to keep bringing them back and putting them in front of the financial services firms. So the the tail of the program is quite long. And um, uh, we, you know, we, we continue to work with the companies after the three months and uh, really consider them part of the family. And the, the program was virtual last year, but it's in person again this year, right? In New York? Health conditions permitting. Yes. Um, and I, but I think, you know, we're going to be thoughtful about um, what's going to make sense to do in person because there's some things and that relationship building, which is so key, you know, there's just really no substitute for in person. Um, but I think we're also going to incorporate some virtual things as well where, where it makes sense. So it, it, I think you'll end up seeing probably a blend and, uh, you know, probably two thirds, one third in person virtual. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing beats the in-person demo day when you've got the energy is very high and then you've got a room full of senior executives and funders and press. Uh, there's a great energy there that I think people uh, people have enjoyed when we've been able to do that in person. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed and uh, hopefully, you know, see you and others in June at, at the demo day. Yeah, the, I, I have attended in the past and definitely you can feel the excitement from everyone there at that point, both the founders and other people that are just checking out um, what each company is up to. Um, one other question I had before we conclude is Gen Z is something that we've started to focus on more. And, you know, for the longest time, it was millennials that everyone was like, OK, like, what do millennials really want with their finances? Like they're delaying buying homes. Does that mean they're not going to buy homes ever? Or is it just like, you know, 10 years later than what some other generations have been? Gen Z is almost taking some of the things that millennials have started and like putting them on steroids. Like the the marketing for Gen Z is so different than what you would do for baby boomers as well as millennials in many cases. Like I don't have TikTok and I'm a millennial, but I guarantee you most of Gen Z has TikTok and is finding out about a bunch of different fintech apps uh, that way. How has that played uh, a role in the program and just how companies are pitching themselves? So one of the big priorities is digital customer engagement. And that picks that up. But I think the in, in past years, the way that we've looked for things is a little bit more specific. We wanted social marketing tools or, <clears throat> but now it's this, it's this broader bucket of digital client engagement. And I think it's an acknowledgement of your point, which is the, the right way to reach your customer, be they Gen Z or others, is shifting rapidly, right? And so you have to have more platforms that allow you to, as new um, uh, pathways and new approaches and new apps are created, and I think everybody expects that will continue, you, you need to be kind of have your back systems and your, your internal systems in place that you can more quickly graph that on, um, those, those new ways of communicating with whoever's going to come after Gen Z. I don't know who comes after Gen Z. Gen AA. <laughs> so, Maybe you go to anyway, the Greek alphabet at that point. It's gonna, it's gonna be right. It's, there's there's gonna be a new way of communicating with that group. And so I think it's 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 a this this category of digital client engagement is an acknowledgement that how you're gonna engage with your clients is gonna be digital, whether it's TikTok or Facebook or the next thing that's gonna get invented. Um, you know, I think they, they have to be prepared for it. And actually, an interesting thing happened during the pandemic, which is that caused a number of existing customers, perhaps, you know, the parents of the millennials, to shift to digital, right? And so 
that is a generation that has wealth, right? So that's a high interest to that tends to be as where the wealth is concentrated, tends to have interest in there's a, so there's interest in that group. And so that's why I think this digital client engagement is a much broader um, understanding and looking for tools that can allow you to reach the breadth of your customers in different ways, depending on where you're at. And so it's really about where is my customer at? And I got to go there in a digital fashion, as opposed to assuming the customers are coming to me and I'm doing them all, all you know, going to them all in the same way. Uh, Maria, well, thank you for joining us today. If someone wants to find out more or apply to the program, what's the best way for them to do that? They should go to the fintechinnovationlab.com website, uh, click New York, and there's a big button that says apply now, and that will get you there. And then where we we check our uh, info uh, box regularly, particularly right now. So if you have questions, we're always happy to uh, answer them. And we've got a couple of webinars coming up. The dates are listed on the website where we bring back alums uh, who will actually tell you what their experience actually was. And uh, people have found that a helpful helpful way to understand what actually happens in the program. Definitely. Well, we'll have to have you back in uh, June or July once the the finals have concluded. And we can talk a little bit about the companies that made it through the program and might be some of the next big ones. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much, Julie. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Maria. And if anyone wants to stay on top of everything happening in fintech, go to fintechtoday.co, sign up for our newsletter, and we will keep you posted on all the exciting things going on or as much as we can with all the things going on. 